At that time, the world-honored one rose serenely from his samadhi and proclaimed to Shariputra, The Buddha's wisdom is profound and incalculable. The gateways of their wisdom are hard to understand and hard to enter. So that no voice hearer, a Shravaka, a world of learning, or Pratyaka Buddha, a world of realization, right, can know them. Why is this? In former times, the Buddha personally approached hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of innumerable Buddhas, performed exhaustively the dharmas of those Buddhas' incalculable paths. His fame for bold and earnest exertion, having spread everywhere, he achieved profound dharmas that had never been before. What he preaches accords with what is appropriate but the end point of its meaning is hard to understand. Shariputra. Since achieving Buddhahood, I have, by a variety of means and by resort to a variety of parables, broadly set forth the spoken doctrine by countless devices leading the living beings and enabling them to abandon their encumbrances why is this? Because the thus come one's expedient devices, his knowledge and insight, and his paramitas, his skills, have all been acquired to the fullest measure. Namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo. Hello, friends. How are you doing today? I hope you're in good health and secure. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your practice. We are starting the second chapter, The Expedient Devices, The Skillful Means of the Lotus Sutra. It's in here, uh, this, uh, obviously, this translation, uh, Expedient Devices. But understand that we're not talking about mechanical devices. We're, again, Buddhism is about the mind. How many times is he going to say that? I don't know. <laughs> the devices are means of a understanding the person you're talking to and their capacities their way of understanding the world around them and applying your knowledge buddha wisdom to give examples direction guidance in accord with the way they see the world so that they can advance in their mission to awaken Buddha in their minds. Sounds straightforward, but anyone who's tried to explain Buddhism, Lotus Sutra Buddhism, chanting to another individual knows that it's not as straightforward as it might sound. So this is a conversation with Shariputra, a very educated monk. And this chapter, the first one that we recite in Gangyo, 
a very important point in the early chapters of the Lotus Sutra. Not only explaining how the teachings evolved, how Shakyamuni used his particular insight, his buddhaness, to teach to the capacity, the evolving capacity of his audience, hmm? but also to make certain that as he delivers this new, this ultimate teaching of how he himself and anyone can attain their Buddha, their, their enlightenment, their Buddha I, hmm? that that does not mean that he's been lying to them or giving them false hope, right? All of the teachings have some sort of a carrot to lead them to inspire, to aspire to Buddhahood. But now with the Lotus Sutra, okay, let's get down to business and open this Buddha eye. Well, does that mean everything we've done for 42 years is crock? No, it's what you needed to hear to keep you aspiring toward this moment. This is very important aspect of the Lotus Sutra that reminds us that every time we sit down at our altar and chant that this is a journey. Although we instantiate Buddhahood in every moment that we chant, we are still samsaric beings after all. And so samsara will be tugging at our heels, so to speak, constantly. But that's not a reason to stop. In fact, that's a reason to integrate Buddha wisdom, this enlightenment, this awakening into each moment of samsara. This path, what I just explained, is the path of the Bodhisattva with the additional very important aspect of committing ourselves to the enlightenment of others. Hmm. All right, let's continue. Shariputra, the thus come one's knowledge and insight are broad and great, profound and recondite, without measure and without obstruction, because he's constantly seeing clearly. Hmm? His might, his fearlessness, his dhyana, concentration, his release, samadhi, have deeply penetrated the limitless. Because potential is limitless. So he doesn't just react and respond as in samsara to any event or thing or place or emotion. Because it's all happening in each moment. Clearly. Hmm? Throughout the cosmos as it continues to expand because of potential instantiating. The process has started, we're in the midst of it, and it will simply reconstitute itself over and over and over and over. That engine of life 
is immeasurable. He has perfected all the dharmas that have never been seen before. Shariputra, by making a, vari a variety of distinctions, that thus come one can skillfully preach the dharmas. Now that's an interesting statement because the distinctions are not a Buddha thing. They are a samsaric thing. But by being all-knowing in Buddha mind, another, another piece of evidence that that doesn't annihilate or destroy samsara. Samsara continues as, as long as there's a cosmos, yeah? And if you're into uh, Roger Penrose's uh, uh, cyclical conformal cosmology, which I love that model, it's simply a change of form. It just continues. It's fascinating. If you're into that kind of stuff, please look it up and do a little research on uh, Roger Penrose and the CCC, as it's also known. It's very Buddhist. His words are gentle, gladdening many hearts. He's not confrontational. Shariputra, to speak of the essential, as for the immeasurable, unlimited dharmas that have never been before, the Buddha has perfected them all. Because in Buddha-ness, our mind, our capacity, accepts everything contemporaneously as it occurs. Brand new, very old, doesn't matter. It's in this moment, we understand it. It's that time slippage again. The, the samsaric mind desperately wants to measure, right? It's data. Let's measure it. Let's make it something. Whereas Buddhaness says, wow, look at this happening. Oh, it's gone. Oh, this is new. Oh, here I am. Here this is. We're busy ising instead of what is that-ing. <laughs> if you'll allow me some play with language. Cease, Shariputra. We need speak no more. What? <laughs> I've explained to you, Buddha-ness is in the, in the being, not in the becoming or has been. It's in the being, momentum, constant. What is there to talk about? The moment you open your mouth and put words to things, you're clinging to the past and craving into the future. Just observe. Here it is. Of course, that does us little use, right? <laughs> As samsaric beings, I mean. <laughs> Why is this? Concerning the prime, rare, Hard to understand dharmas, which the Buddha has perfected. Only a Buddha and a Buddha can exhaust their reality. Namely, the suchness of the dharmas. 
And if you'll look again, I'll bring up Buddhism reference. Suchness, suchnesses. That is a, a wondrous word in its application in Buddhism to so many things. Because a suchness isn't a specific static thing, isn't it? It's a tendency and a condition. It's very Buddhist in its usage, in its perspective. And so if you understand suchnesses as that which we experience, then it's, it's empty, it's vapor, it's wonderful and gone. Yeah? Just like the Buddha, well gone. Hmm. <laughs> The suchness of their marks, the suchness of their nature, the suchness of their substance, the suchness of their powers, the suchness of their functions, the suchness of their causes, the suchness of their conditions, the suchness of their effects, the suchnesses of their retributions or repercussions, better word, I think, and the absolute identity of their beginning and end. Do you recognize what I just recited? Right? The ten suchnesses. What do we also call them? The, the ten factors. Right? The ten, insert word here. We recite them every day. Hmm? Three times do we recite them. In each recitation. At that time, the world honored one wishing to restate this doctrine proclaimed Gatha, saying, The hero of the world is incalculable. Among gods, worldlings, and all varieties of living beings, none can know the Buddha. You must awaken your, or you must awaken your Buddha eye, your Gohonzon mind, in order to perceive Buddha. And then you and others who have done the same can understand. Hmm? But until you awaken Buddha in your mind, this will always be mysterious because you're still in samsara. A higher state in samsara, quite probably, but until you experience the Dharma, the Dharma is a conceptual thing. Makes sense, right? Talk about a carrot. As to the Buddha's strengths, his sorts of fearlessness, his deliverances and his samadhis, as well as the other Dharmas of the Buddha, none can fathom them. Again, until you experience it, you can only wonder. Formerly, following numberless Buddhas, he fully trod the various paths, those dharmas profound and subtle, hard to see and hard to understand. Throughout countless millions of kalpas, he trod these various paths. On the platform of the path, he was able to achieve the fruit this I fully know. Now, if you want to understand why he says all of that, consider this. When he first started teaching 
enlightenment, the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Qigong, the Mohoshiwan. Nobody understood what he was talking about because he was expressing his experience of enlightenment. And this was completely foreign to the few people that were remaining around him and following him, waiting for him to attain enlightenment. He spent 12 long years of incredibly difficult practices. And they took him places. He evolved over time, almost died from starvation, following certain Brahmins for six or seven years and then on his own. And in that time, his evolution in his mind, he's writing out here, fully trod the various paths. Those dharmas profound and subtle, hard to see and hard to understand. See, this is his road to enlightenment. That's why he didn't teach the Avatamsaka, some say two weeks, some say three or four weeks. Right? Most of the sutras, you'll see if you research it, we're taught for four years, eight years, 12 years, six years, long time. Avatamsaka, a couple of weeks. He must have seen himself and thought, oh, <laughs> I can't just drop this on people. Look at what I had to go through to get to this point. I must break this down. His compassion said, I must look to their capacity and teach such that they can evolve their own thinking, right? Expedient means, that's what this chapter is about. Right? So this is what he's saying here. On the platform of the path, he was able to achieve the fruit. This I fully know. As to such great fruits and retro, um, repercussions as these... Such varied doctrines of nature and marks, I and the Buddhas of the Ten Directions, all potential as you and I are, able to attain this awakening, are the only ones who can know these things. Right? Sentient beings. These dharmas cannot be demonstrated, right? Can't go in a lab and go, look, you put this and this and pfft, see? No, they're experiential. They're evidenced by our experience, our mind, our sentience. It's the only place you can locate Buddhahood. Right? You can't manufacture it. Tesla can't make a gigafactory for it. Words which are only signs are quiescent in them. See how language is a tool? He reminds us again, as he did in the Lankavatara quite ex extensively, that words are just fingers pointing at the moon. And if all you do is look at the fingers, you'll never see the wonderful glory of the moon. Among the remaining kinds of living beings, no, none can understand them except for the multitude of bodhisattvas whose power of re resolve is firm 
The multitude of the Buddha's disciples formerly made offerings to the Buddhas. All their outflows now exhausted, they inhabit this last body. Men such as these, their strength irresistible, even if they filled the world, if all were like Shariputra, and if exhausting their thoughts all calculated together, could not fathom the Buddha's knowledge. Again, until you experience it, what you know is only dreaming. Even if they filled the ten directions, all of them like Shariputra and the remaining disciples, if further filling the Buddha fields of the ten directions, in other words, everywhere in the cosmos, and exhausting their thoughts, they were able, they were to calculate together, they still could not know it. If Pratyaka Buddhas of keen intelligence, inhabiting a final body without outflows, were to fill even the spheres of the ten directions, in their number like bamboo groves, and if putting their minds together for millions of incalculable kalpas, they wished to think on the real knowledge of the Buddha, none could know a slight portion of it. If bodhisattvas who were recently launched, who have recently, la uh, recently launched their thoughts, the recognized equivalent, if not translation, of blah, 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 set out the new course, was <laughs> recently embarked on the career, the first step of the chamber two, okay. There was a footnote, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't fit, uh, missing anything. If bodhisattvas who have recently launched their thoughts, their path, who have made offerings to countless Buddhas, who understand, right, namo myorenge kyo, offering, it's homage, it's an invocation of, right? How many Dharimoku have you chanted? who understand completely the direction of the various doctrines, and who also can preach the Dharma well, were in the manner of stalks of hemp, bamboo, and rice, to fill the kshestras of the ten directions. And if with one mind, and by resort to their subtle wisdom, for kalpas numerous as Ganges' sands, they were to all think and calculate together still, they could not understand the Buddha's knowledge. You must awaken your Gohanzan mind, your Buddha eye, if you want to know Buddha. It's the only way. That's the gist, yeah? If bodhisattvas who do not backslide in number like to the Ganges' sands were with one mind to think and seek together, they still could not know it. I further proclaim to you, Shariputra, that that which is without outflows, beyond reckoning and discussion, the extremely profound and subtle dharma, I have already gained completely in this age. Only I know its marks, its characteristics, its suchnesses. As do the Buddhas of other ages in the ten directions, it has always been this way. Shariputra, let it be known that the Buddha's words are without discrepancy, that toward the Dharma preached by the Buddha 
one should display the strength of great resolve. We hear this from Nietzsche all the time, yeah? After the world-honored one's dharma has long been in effect, he must, pre he must preach the truth. I proclaim to the multitude of voice hearers, the shravakas, the learners, and to those seeking the vehicle of condition perceivers, the Pratyaka Buddhas and the, those of realization, that I am the one who shall cause them to cast off the bonds of suffering and attain nirvana. The Buddha, by the power of expedient means, demonstrates the teaching of the three vehicles, the living beings attached to this objective and that, or this object and that, sorry, he attracts and thus enables to extricate themselves. There's that carrot. By giving you something to a, reach for, to attain, I move you to aspire toward it. But the bottom line, as I was saying earlier, is until you reach it, you won't know it. So, at that time, in the midst of the great multitude, there were voice hearers, their outflows exhausted, arhants, Ajanatu Kwandinya, and others, 1,200 persons, as well as persons who had launched their thoughts toward the rank of Pratyaka Buddha and Bhikshus, Bhikshunis, Upasakas, and Upasikas, each of whom thought, hmm, now why has the world-honored one made this speech earnestly praising expedient devices? The Dharma which the Buddha has gained is very hard to understand. He has something to say, whose meaning is hard to know, and which no voice-hearer or Pratyaka-Buddha can attain. The Buddha has preached the doctrine of unique deliverance, which means that we, too, gaining this Dharma, shall reach nirvana. Yet, now we do not know where this doctrine tends. So they're a little confused, right? They're on the cusp of learning something new, and basically I've been told all the work they've been doing hasn't gotten there yet. So there's probably a bit of a rustling in the assembly, right? At that time, Shariputra, knowing of the doubts in the minds of the fourfold assembly, remember fourfold assembly, nuns, uh, monks, laymen, laywomen, and himself not yet fully understanding, addressed the Buddha saying, World honored one, for what cause and through what conditions have you earnestly praised the Buddha's prime device, their extremely profound and subtle dharma, so hard to understand? In all this long time, I have never before heard from the Buddha such a preaching as this. Now the fourfold assembly all have doubts. I beg the world-honored one to expound this matter. World-honored one, why have you earnestly praised this very profound and subtle dharma so hard to understand? It's not your normal inspirational talk. You've kind of left us hanging here. What's going on? At that time, Shariputra, wishing to restate this idea, proclaimed gathas, right? Saying... The son of wisdom, the most venerable of the great saints, or enlightened 
beings, or sages, better than saints, after a long time indeed preaches this dharma, himself saying that he has gained such strengths, fearlessness, samadhis, dhyana concentrations, releases, and other such inconceivable dharmas. On the dharmas attained on the platform of the path, no one is able to put questions. Uh, my mind, says the Buddha, is difficult to fathom, nor is anyone able to question it. Hmm. Unasked, O Buddha, you preach it yourself, praising the path you have trodden, and the most subtle of wisdoms which the Buddhas have gained, the Arhants, without our flow, outflows, and those who seek nirvana, have now all fallen into a net of doubt, asking themselves why the Buddha has preached this. Those who seek to be conditioned perceivers, as well as bhikshus and bhikshunis, gods, dragons, demons, spirits, and gandharavas, look at one another and harbor uncertainties. In treating the most venerable of the two-legged beings, why is this? We beg the Buddha to explain it to us. Of the multitude of voice hearers, the Buddha has said that I am the first. Now, with respect to my own knowledge, I cannot resolve my doubts. As to whether this is the ultimate dharma, or whether it is merely a path to tread towards the dharma, which is what you say we've been doing for 42 years, the sons born of the Buddha's mouth their palms joined and looking up in expectation beg you to emit a subtle sound and thus to make timely explanation in keeping with reality. The gods, dragons, and spirits in number like to the Ganges' sands, bodhisattvas seeking to be Buddhas, their great number being 80,000s, and of several myriads of millions of realms, the wheel-turning sage kings have arrived with palms joined and with thoughts of deferential, thoughts deferential, wishing to hear of the perfect path. At that time, the Buddha proclaimed to Shakyamuni, cease, cease. There is no need to speak further. If I speak of this matter, gods and men in all the worlds shall be alarmed. You're not quite ready. Shariputra again addressed the Buddha, saying, World honored one, I beg you to preach it. I beg you to preach it. What is the reason? In this assembly, numberless hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of asamkayas of living beings have seen Buddhas, their faculties keen and their wisdom pellicid. If they hear the Buddha's preaching, shall be able to put reverent resolve in it. At that time, Shariputra, wishing to restate this meaning, proclaimed a gatha, saying, O king of the Dharma, venerable one amongst the unexcelled, do but preach. I beg you to have no second thoughts. In this assembly, the incalculable multitude includes those who can put reverent resolve in you. And right there is a clue as to they're not, they don't quite get it yet. The Buddha again restrained Shariputra. If I preach this matter, all the gods, men, and asuras in all the world shall be alarmed, and the arrogant bhikshus shall fall into a great trap. 
At that time, the world-honored one proclaimed to Gatha, saying, Cease, cease, no need to speak, that my dharma is subtle and hard to imagine. Those of overwhelming pride, if they hear it, shall surely neither revere nor believe it. At that time, Shariputra again addressed the Buddha, saying, I beseech you to preach. I beseech you to preach. In the present assembly, beings like me, numbering a hundred thousand myriads of millions in successive incarnations, have already been converted by Buddhas. Such men as these shall surely be able to revere and believe. Throughout the long night of time, they shall be secure, deriving much advantage therefrom. At that time, Shariputra, wishing to restate this meaning, proclaimed Gathas, saying, Oh, you supremely venerable among two-legged beings, I beg you to preach the prime dharma, the what I call a priori dharma, right? I am the Buddha's eldest son. Do but disdain to preach explicitly. Incalculable multitudes in this assembly can revere and believe this dharma. The Buddha has already, generation after generation, taught and converted many like these. All of one mind, with palms joined, wish to listen to the Buddha's word. We, twelve hundred and the others who seek to be Buddhas beg that for the sake of this multitude, you will put deign, you will but deign to preach explicitly. If they hear this Dharma, then they shall evince great joy. At that time, the world-honored one declared to Shariputra, since you have now thrice earnestly besought me, how can I not preach? Phew! Now listen with understanding and with careful thought, for I will state it to you explicitly. Can you wait till the next video? <laughs> I think it's a good stopping point. Fortunately, no commercial breaks. <laughs> Just a break. So you can digest and you can see that this, this is really, to me, this is the ovation of the Lotus Sutra. You know, everything we've read so far, the introduction, has been largely a formal matter of stating what is about to happen, not casting away everything that was said before, preparing the audience for the first of many mic drops. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's rattled a lot of minds. And now finally, due to Shariputra's formal device of asking three times in subtly different ways, and I think that third way uh, was key because it's the only one where he really said, for the benefit of the multitude, not just that the multitude would appreciate it, but that he teach it to the multitude for the benefit of future or other beings. And that is the Bodhisattva commitment, isn't it? So that was only very specific in the third 
beseeching. I don't know. That's something I see. Not necessary that uh, we know that's part of the teaching, but I think it's an interesting point. Um, so what's he going to say? What's he going to open their minds with? We'll leave that to the next video. In the meantime, thank you so much for taking a few seconds to like and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. And it really, really helps the algorithm make this teaching more available to others. Share. Share the video if you think you know somebody who could benefit or 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 maybe get curious, get a little more information about the correct practice of Lotus Sutra Buddhism, yeah? Maybe as an introduction to Nichiren. Sure, there are other videos that might benefit that more. You can search them, just put Nichiren in a keyword, or maybe not Nichiren, Life of Nichiren. There's a whole series on the life of Nichiren. That's a very good series that you can share with others, right? There are ways you can use the resources here, the videos, the website, the, the, the podcasts, so on and so forth, and share the, the books that you buy, ebooks or print books, mandala certainly. That's our bodhisattva mission, right? To help others get on board and start doing this for themselves. Anyway, uh, additionally, patrons, I'm so grateful every time I see, uh, uh, I get an email from Patreon or PayPal, uh, the donations, <sighs> couldn't, couldn't be doing this without them. So we're all appreciative of that. Uh, the second volume of Buddhism Reference is coming along. I'm uh, almost at 230 pages right now, so there's no shortage of terms. It's a, it's a broader scope of terminologies, but all in support to what we're doing today. So I'm wanting to be very careful about not just teaching and offering descriptions from various schools, but to hone in on how they support our practice of Lotus Sutra Buddhism, right? Because that's what we're doing. So I don't want to create confusion. That's why I didn't do much of that in the first volume. Uh, but in this volume, I'm taking a little more liberty because we run into these words all the time. So we might as well understand what they were, what they come from, and how we can use that as a building block to what we now understand in our modern practice. So that's coming soon. Um, in the meantime, take care of your health. Yeah. Uh, a bodhisattva isn't much good if he's handicapped or she's handicapped, has to stay home and drink NyQuil all day. <laughs> I don't suggest you do that. <laughs> but you get my point. So uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, keep your practice strong of all things. And I'll see you in the next one. All right? Good. Bye for now. Thank mm -hmm. you.